Hello and welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Johnson. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On this podcast, we just want to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. And today is going to be a real life stories edition of the Grace Point Daily Podcast. And so today we have a very special guest with us, Stella Maynard. Stella, welcome. Hi. Glad to have you on the podcast. We know that you have an amazing story that we believe is going to encourage people, lift people up. And so we're going to dive into it in just a few minutes. But Stella, you're a part of the Grace Point family. You've been going to church here and you are from this area, right? Or just just in general, you're from Missouri? Originally, I'm from uh, Brooklyn Heights, Carthage area. Okay. So you're you're like so a native. You know what this I'm place back. is all about. Okay. So you grew up here and now you were you own a company, you're a business owner? Yes. Okay. And of what company is that officially called? State Beauty Supply. All right. So you give beauty supplies and help make people beautiful. All across the south, southern west. Yeah, our hairdressers hopefully, hopefully. make them people beautiful. <laughs> you help in the process, though, yes. so we're, we're very grateful for that. So we know that you have been a part of this family. You've share, actually shared your story with some of our young people, with our adults, and mm-hmm. I know they were encouraged by that. They were blessed by that, and we thought it'd be good to get you on the pod here and share that story as well. So let's dive into it. Let's hear about your story. Okay. Well, I was born in raised around Carthage, Brooklyn Heights. My dad was a blind um, piano tuner. He also received a blind aid check, and my mom was responsible to make sure all the finances, um, the records came out. And he was yet a father that was born blind? like Yes. From birth? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. And uh, we had a caseworker that would come to the house and check my mom's finances and make sure her records were all right and everything so that he could continue to receive that check, too. And um, we lived on a, a decent home. Um, it was a nice home. Really, the outside was what I liked the best about it. We had um, apple trees and pear trees and cherry tree and peach tree. We had um, grapevines that grew around in a circle, and in the middle we used for our clubhouse. Okay. My sister and I did. Was it a, was it a farm then? You're out like outside of town. It or? wasn't really big enough to be much of a farm. You could probably have maybe one cow on it. It wasn't that much acreage. Okay. Um, and then um, my brother, um, we used to dress him up in little girl doll clothes and push him around in the baby buggy uh-huh. in the parlor <laughs> sometimes. Um, the joy of being a younger brother. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't love that. Um, But really, it was a good childhood in the beginning. It felt like um, we were a a good, fun-loving family. My dad liked to sing funny songs, and he played the guitar a lot. He uh, had a reel-to-reel tape player, and he would um, record himself, and he would record us kids talking to each other sometimes. And... um, and how many, how many siblings were there now? You had a, a younger brother and older sister, three at, of you? At that time, yeah, I had an older sister. There was myself and my brother. Uh, my sister came along later, the last um, child. And my dad started listening to this radio program that was Garner Ted Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God. And um, we quit going to my grandpa's church and we went to this one 
and it um, kept the Old Testament holy days. And the Sabbath was on Saturday, so on Friday night, after the sun went down through Saturday night, when the sun goes down again, you couldn't really do anything. Um, You had to be uh, basically quiet and... uh, and my dad would unplug my mom's kitchen range if she was still cooking when the sun went down so that she wouldn't be sinning on the Sabbath because you're not supposed to work. And uh, we weren't allowed to celebrate Christmas or Easter or birthdays or Valentine's okay. or anything like that. So we had to take a, a note to school and sat out in the hallway while the other kids had a party and had... um games and cupcakes and stuff okay let me back up a second so what what was your original like upbringing you said you went from this church to the worldwide what did you say it was the worldwide church of god church of god what 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 was your spiritual background before that you went to church before then i think we went to church where my grandpa at the church of the brethren down here okay was that my grandpa was that affiliated with the denomination or what would you have called that at the time Christian I would or say it was a Christian Christian church, church? okay mm-hmm. and so did you grow up reading the Bible with spirituality was it a part of your mm-hmm. yes and my uh, when we'd go to my grandpa and grandma's house they would um, a lot of times grandma would play the organ at he would play the piano and my dad and uncle Ray maybe would play the guitar and they would sing and I know whenever we would um, eat dinner of course, there's always prayer for dinner, but a lot of times okay. we would stand in a circle and hold hands, and they would say that, um, oh, what is that prayer? Um, it's almost like a song, and we, they would sing it around in a circle. I can't think what it is right off. So concepts like God or Jesus, th- mm-hmm. those were not necessarily unfamiliar no. concepts to you as a little no, girl. No, that's... God's never not been in okay. my life. When did you, so what What age were you when your dad begins to shift into this? I don't know. I want to say. Different mode of spirituality. Six or so, maybe. Six or, I'm thinking about six. I don't know for sure. Would it be, and was it considered like a conversion? Like, uh, at least in the realm of Christianity, I function and we'd say someone got converted and kind of instantly changed. So when your dad stepped into this new phase of religion, was that what it was? Was he like, hey, I got converted. Uh, now we're going to be this. Was it was it subtle yes. shifts and changes or was it kind of like a boom? Here it is. No, it was dramatic. Okay. I think it was if I felt like it was dramatic. It was suddenly a whole different air. And that's when, and did you feel like, was it like, whoa, my dad's a different person now? Um, yeah, he was more dictatorial, maybe. Yeah. Well, like, I, I think what we're, we're getting to in your story is uh, the, the being a child, all these things are what we walk through as children are magnified to, you know, big heights and, you know, these, these things that we walk through, I think as I know, as an adult now, as I look back, I realize how big these moments were in my life and how they defined me mm-hmm. and how they created, you know, a lot of who I was, some of which is 
mostly bad, I guess, for me, but some good, some bad, etc. So this was obviously a, a powerful shift in, in in your life, your dad's life, but it also affected you a lot, it sounds like. Yeah, it did. I think it uh, awakened fear more than anything. Okay. So we're on the part now kind of where you're talking about birthdays, and as I was interrupting mm-hmm. you there, you're mm-hmm. talking about birthdays and things like that, that now we're excluded from you okay. and your childhood and mm-hmm. school and all that kind of stuff. And then um, there came a time when I was molested by a teenage girl in the church. And um, so then you feel extreme shame and anger. And I would sometimes bang my head on the wall. Or um, if I'm playing outside, I might pick up rocks and beat myself in the head with it when I felt angry. Wow. And... And that kind of stemmed from that that moment of being molested as a, a young mm. girl. What what yeah, age what age were you when that happened? Young, I don't young. know. Okay, so you weren't like teenager. You were no. a child. Yes. Wow. Yes, and I um, very angry with God for letting that happen, and especially you know church people are supposed to be better than that yeah and i know today we're we're in an era where whether it be and i'm not picking on any one church but say like catholic priest pentecostal where there's this exposure now of abuse from year upon year upon year and it's like we 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 tend to cover that up and we tend to and that sounds like happened in your situation Mm -hmm. as well yeah it wouldn't Nobody talked about it or anything. You just don't talk about it, and don't talk about it. Move on. But I, but I did talk to God about it, but not in a nice way. I was rebellious and smart mouthed and very angry and uh, more or less, how dare you, you know? And like I was telling Rick this morning, I would even. Daring to strike me dead because, you know, why not? Yeah. You know, if you're going to let stuff like this happen, then what am I even here for? You know, so. I've never, I've never personally seen that behavior from you, Stella. So praise the Lord. You haven't seen me <laughs> be a meanie butt yet. Um, and then when I was about nine, um, the Hercules powder plant blew up the dynamite plant out here. And, um. It cracked the foundation on our house. So at that time, my dad decided instead of trying to um, get that fixed, we would move up into the church house on the hill out there. And um, so he um, bought that. And I, I don't know if he thought maybe because the church we went to, it just met at different places. They didn't have a church building. Maybe he thought that he was going to be able to... Um, facilitate them somewhat or something but um they never really used it for um anything but to movie nights or square dancing or something like that um but when we moved there there was no plumbing of course and um so we had outhouses and um, we would have to bring water and pour it in a big tub and to take baths and stuff and 
some we'd get to go on Friday after school to go take a shower at grandma's house. So, and my dad put in two wood stoves and they had the piping across and he used pipe for the chimney. Um, he started to, uh, to dig out and with a pickaxe and shovel to make a place to put the lines for water. I don't know. I think it took him about three years. <laughs> we all have, so it sounds like, would you say that that being molested as a girl, was that the definitive moment of kind of the real first definitive moment of your life? You talked about that really from that moment, there was anger towards God and everything else. So it doesn't sound like, well, maybe in one sense that, I mean, your dad transitioning to this different spiritual state, religion, whatever we want to say, mm. created a lot of disappointment, anger from the, the practicality of birthdays, etc. But it seems like so far in, in this story of yours that that molesta, molestation moment was the moment that really is a definitive life-changing moment. Is that true? It breaks you. And where'd you go from there? So now we're kind of moving, we're getting into... Now you're growing up, you're in a different place of living. What's happening in life? Um, I don't know what you're getting at. Well, you're talking about the house that you moved, you moved into a different house mm-hmm. now. and Yeah, we had to stay in the basement for a while, but some, there would be lizards and snakes sometimes in there. Because Dad didn't want us to scratch the wood floors upstairs. So. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think of, you know, for the minds of people, like, where's God in the midst of this? As, as you're continuing to, to walk through this, you know, obviously you said you're feeling angry. You're, you're angry against God. You're expressing that to God. And, and all this is happening kind of supposedly under the umbrella of God and Jesus and church and all these things, right? Which I'm sure would just create mass confusion as a young, as a child. Mm-hmm. Well, it feels like you're just surviving on your own. So, um, my dad was a strong prayer, though, you know. He was, and sometimes he would try to make us all pray together in a circle on the, on the floor. Did you look to him as a as a spiritual person, or was, was your anger more towards God or your dad or everyone, or what, what was going on in your in your brain as a child like that? The church, towards the church, I think because I think they were taking advantage of my dad and my mom, mm-hmm. and they would give them duties to do that no one else would want to do. And my dad, because he was raised in the blind institution, he didn't really have home family life. Hmm. So I think he was looking for a family. Well, I think he was jealous of his siblings. It's amazing as you, you talk about that, the, the church, me being a pastor, I mean, this is about your story, but as I listen to this, one thing I'm challenged by is as a pastor, how the church can produce 
good, but it can also produce evil at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as people who are in the church and specifically me as a leader of the church, having to always think about the potential influence that we have in the lives of people. Mm-hmm. For me as a pastor, you know, are you just, are you just another person? Are you just someone a pawn in my game to, <laughs> to do religious stuff for me? Mm-hmm to give money or do I have a shepherd's heart? Do I care about you? Do I care about the people that's God's put in my life? And it sounds like that you, your dad along with you didn't have an overall sense of that in, in the midst of the church as a loving, safe place. Yeah. My dad wanted to play music more at the church, but they told him he wasn't good enough. And, um, so they were, my mom and dad were in charge of lost and found. They had to stay after church and make sure they picked up after other people. And, and I think they enjoyed that some, but you could, <laughs> you could really, uh, you could never leave early. You had to be the last one to leave. So if people hang around and talk for hours, then you're still there. Okay. And um, you can't really leave. We don't even have a lost and found at Grace Point. I mean, you could facilitate that ministry if you want. I mean, you mm-hmm. talk about it after. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I might have a little bit of experience. <laughs> they were also responsible for the used clothing, like if people were trying to um, give their clothes away, and mm-hmm. they would bring them to our house. And I think my mom would sort through them and try to figure out sizes who could possibly want them and stuff like that. Eventually, I think someone else took that responsibility. But And um, another thing they did, they would go to Springfield and um, buy flour in like great big bags, like at the health food store, out at the train station. Actually, they picked it up sometimes. And um, they would divvy that up so that I think... They thought that made it cheaper for people to buy their flour and sugar and stuff that way in that big bulk. And then my mom and dad would split it up. It was cheaper than going to the grocery store for some of those people that were um, poor too. Okay. So where are we at in the story here? You, you grow up in a, in a disabled family. Your, mm-hmm. your dad's blind. I, mm-hmm. I mean, you then get to this moment where your dad shifts in terms of spirituality and direction in church. Mm-hmm. Then at some point, you know, you go through this period of the, this time of being molested by a teenage girl. You're now getting into a phase of life where you said you moved into kind of a different home and life is changing. And then, mm-hmm. and then where's life start to go from there? Well, I guess it would be junior high. Not too long after that, I would go to junior high and, um, I was able to join the pep club there because they had games on Thursday nights to Friday night. Um, so I did that for maybe a couple of years. But I didn't make a lot of friends because I was embarrassed by our home. And you didn't always know what you're going to get in trouble for. So that was embarrassing. And, um, I was insecure too, so 
I didn't want to be judged by people. It was better just to think they didn't like you yeah. than to know for sure. Wow. And so your dad, uh, kind of going back to your dad here, growing up in a, dis, a disabled home, essentially, right? A, a, a dad that's blind, right? Was was blind. But he could do and, just about anything. Yeah. but, but Except did, drive. Yeah. Did he have a st- walking stick kind no. of sunglasses or, I mean... No. Was it, uh, um, I mean, what's that like? I don't know what it's like to grow up in, in a, a home with a disability. Is that difficult? Is it hard? Sounds like maybe with friends that became in, well, interesting to navigate when you had friends come over. Did you have friends that made fun of you? Did you have no. people make fun of your dad or anything like that? I don't think so. Okay. His eyes just wiggled back and forth and one had a pupil and the other one didn't. Hmm. And... People would stare at him and ask what was wrong with his eyes sometimes, but he functioned, I mean, pretty much like anybody else. He might trip over you sometimes because he didn't see you or something, but um, he could see shapes and that kind of stuff. So I don't know how much he could see of a face, you know, like your actual face. But mm-hmm. he could, if you changed your hairstyle, sometimes he wouldn't know who you were unless okay. he could hear you talk or... <laughs> Um, he could tell by your footsteps who you were and mm-hmm. different things like that. Wow, okay. He would sing and he liked to sing funny songs, so a lot of times the kids really liked him because he would sing that hole in the bottom of the sea and that puppy in the window. Mm, wow. And as a junior higher, um, you're in junior high, you're in the pep club, you're now now in this, for all of us, this quirky, weird phase of life when we're junior hires and things like that, were you still strongly affected by, as you're now starting to try and figure out your identity, kind of being molested, was that was that hurt and pain enhanced greater in the midst of this, this phase of life, or what were you feeling at that time in life? No, I liked, I liked junior high pretty well. I liked uh, my cousin was living here then, my cousin Timmy. Is your now is your is your dad still living? Is he still alive? No. He passed away. Okay. Wow. Wow. I, I just you know that's really it, it's such an interesting aspect of your story. I'm you know in terms of having a father that's blind and and how you probably had to navigate different sections parts of life in the midst of someone with that and the things that he had to wrestle with and the struggles that he had uh, walking through all of that. And so you're junior higher and Mm -hmm. you're progressing, becoming a woman, transitioning to that that phase of life. And Mm -hmm. what's happening then? Well, I I think a lot of the things that I wondered about then is uh, my dad had lots of friends, you know, pretty much everybody knew him. And... um, he had friends that weren't in church, but I feel like the rule was for us, we were supposed to only have church friends. Okay. And a lot of them were a little different or sneaky, I guess you would say. And um, I had some good friends in the church, but there was not very many because there wasn't very many people really in the church um, so I really wished for friends I think a 
Okay. And we talked about, I know one of the things that you mentioned even before we started the podcast, you talked about growing up with wanting a better relationship or a better love of your father in your life. So as a junior higher and high schooler, was there just, there's distance between your dad or, or what created that feeling of wanting, you just didn't feel close to your dad growing up as a junior higher and high schooler? And- no, my dad, he liked to go to the Hootenannies on Saturday nights. And so he would, um, of course he couldn't drive, so mom would take him and we would set in those smoky rooms, you know. and. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> The hoot nanny being what? Well, how do you like? I have actually never heard that that phrase that until Rick Maynard said it one day, and I thought it was really funny. Do you, have you ever seen the Grand Ole Opry? Yes, I have. Okay, it's kind of like that, only okay. in a small country setting, like a church or a one-room schoolhouse, or or something that they could rent, or sometimes okay. in the <laughs> like. Have you been to the old settlers' picnic or anything like that? Uh-uh, no, like. They have all these violin players come, and in the they do it in a park or something, and okay. they'll be guitar did, players. What, and they they basically party. They get drunk there and stuff like that too. Or who and some people more, did, yeah. More they, about the music or something. They like didn't that. Okay. sell alcohol there, I don't think back then. But people would bring their own bottles to the car. You know, some of them. I don't know really a lot about that part. Should we bring those back? I mean, it sounds really exciting. Though. <laughs> I don't know. You don't, you don't get any sleep. You have to sleep in the car or in the folding chairs or something. All right. So it's tiresome. So you felt like your dad was spending the excess or the spare time he had was not spent with you? I felt like he loved his guitar more than he loved his kids a lot of times. Hmm. Because he was playing at him, he just he just didn't go to him. He was also yes. was he playing guitar at him, yes. so that was kind of his yeah. musical he, outlet. Because he didn't get to play in church, it, that kind of became his mm-hmm. outlet for musical expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. He uh, he was good with country music and uh, like that boogie woogie music he could play on the piano and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He liked it a lot. And then as a high schooler, did you, because you felt like that was absent from your life, did you, what did you, was an outlet, did you have a lot of boyfriends and what did you do then? No? No, not really. I didn't have it. I don't think I had any boyfriends in high school. I got accused one time of uh, touching a black boy's hand and I got taken down to the principal's office. Wow. So racism was... Yeah. That strong in the midst of being a high schooler. He sat behind me and I handed a paper back off to him. Hmm. That's like a whole nother a whole nother topic we could get into in racism. Mm-hmm. But did you was that was that that was clearly strong at the time mm-hmm. growing up, racism. We did have some um a black family in our church too. They were I thought they were really nice and misunderstood maybe and I got in trouble for talking to one of the boys and that too and my brother got in talk got in <laughs> trouble for talking to the daughter so it's like you really didn't know who you could have for friends hmm. wow well keep diving through I, I'm I'm interested keep take mm-hmm. me through your story well <laughs> where are we at 
um, we could go to senior high and I, um, I didn't join any of the clubs or anything like that. I didn't think I could because everything happens on Friday night or Saturday. So I really never felt like those were even an option. And I think in a lot of times in life that I see myself with blinders on because nothing was ever for me. It was always for everybody else. And a lot of times I still, I still don't realize I'm in that mode until I've missed a lot of things. Hmm. Were you, so it sounds like you weren't crazy in high school, right? You didn't like, didn't have a bunch of boyfriends. You weren't like, no partying getting wasted you weren't doing drugs you weren't like prostitute you weren't <laughs> no i i did have crushes on guys sometimes and i um wore a class ring of a couple of different guys but i wasn't allowed to date so it really was mm. pointless they just could walk you to class and, and your husband right now rick maynard you went to school with him i did the whole time all grades like no. First grade to twelfth grade, or how, how many grades? I don't know. He was <laughs> gone a lot of the time. He didn't go to Pleasant Valley. Is that weird? You wake up some days and just like wake up in the morning and turn over and look at him and be like, "This is this is really weird." Like I went to school with that guy in high school. It is unreal sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It is that. Not a, I didn't say a bad weird, just kind of weird, right? Just in general, yeah. you know. <laughs> That's good. What so you you get to the end of high school or, or you tell me the story? You're, okay, you get to the, the end of high school. My or? last year in high school, I um, got involved with a senior. Well, I guess it was my junior year, um, and he was he had a very high IQ. He was very smart, but he was very rebellious, and he had a lot of the same angers that I had. And his parents didn't really show him love either. So, I mean, mine did in their own way, but I think because of my own um, pain that I couldn't really always receive it. So... um I think we kind of just got together because we kind of um, felt like we were the outcasts of the family. And that was the draw. It wasn't really, didn't really have anything to do with the Lord or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I dropped my moral values because of him. And... Um, he, after I got pregnant, he started drinking quite a bit. Apparently he had, anyway, I just didn't know it. Um, but we got married, and the year that I graduated, I graduated, got married, and my son was born that year. So you got married at 18, 18 yes. years old? Mm-hmm. And yes. you're pregnant at the time? Yes. Wow. Was that was that overwhelming? Very. But I couldn't talk to my parents. I just left mm. them a note and ran away from home. Oh wow. And and at this point, you were graduated from high school, or not not quite yet, or 
Yes, I was graduated. Okay. Wow. What's your, um, I know just a few weeks ago you shared your story, parts of your story with the youth group at Grace mm-hmm. Point here. What did you find yourself, um, your message to them was what? What was kind of some of your, some of your messages to them? Mostly, if they don't feel loved by their parents, they need to find a good substitute parent. And um, don't believe every story every boy tells you, because it's not always the truth. we were built by God to be loved, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. God is love, and He put that thing in us to want to be loved because that—that's who He is. And we are, you know, as for every one of us in in your story, that's we're going to search for that. If we if we don't get it, we're going to search for it. And it doesn't matter if we find it in a healthy or an unhealthy place. We're going to pursue that, and we're going right. to want to try and fill that void for love. And it sounds like that's what you did, you know, trying to find that sense of love, trying to fill that void. Uh, of love and did, did you try and find did you try and find it in Jesus I mean did you feel like Jesus was an option for that void or no I didn't really feel like the church I was in really talked about Jesus they only talked about God and God's wrath and God's anger and God's punishment I don't really remember them talking about mm. Jesus or saving grace or mercy or any of that stuff it i don't remember them ever giving you an answer for anything all they did i felt like was tell you how respectful you should be never say no to your elders you know all those things even back when we were young teenagers girls were young teenagers there was a deacon there who would uh, poke you in the rib, like mm-hmm. right up by your armpit. Well, he wasn't poking you in the rib. He was checking to see how big your breasts were getting. We all knew that, but we didn't tell our parents anything about that. You know, uh-huh. that's just, you're supposed to be respectful. Don't question authority yeah. and all that. And I think in a way that sets you up for when you date, you don't say what you feel. Mm. You don't stand up for yourself. And I think that was really wrong of them not to teach you to stand up for yourself because I feel like when I went out into the world to live, you're not living in that little church cult thing, you know. You're going to live in the world. You need to know how to live out there in the world. And I was very much a child, but I thought I was grown up. And I did not have survival skills really mm-hmm. and I definitely didn't have any tools of how to uh, just be my own person and stand up for myself hmm. we're gonna keep going through your story a little bit more in a couple different parts but why don't we close up this particular episode talking about the love of God why don't you tell me about the love of God what does it mean to you now today I mean, I know we're going to get to the point in your your story, conversion, that kind of thing. But what's God lo- God's love mean to you today, and and how do you express that now to other people who need the love of God? There's a lot of people who need love. They need yes, they yeah. need the love of God. Yeah. 
there's a lot of people like you they're mm-hmm. right now in relationships they they might be pregnant they might be all mm-hmm. kinds of things and and mm-hmm. just deep down inside they're like if i could just have someone love me and probably the reality is that they just really need the love of jesus to just fill their heart and their life yes they do and um i think a lot of times just to tell parts of your story to people help them to open up to that too um i've you know i have a lot of girls pass through my life and sometimes i'm closed down and i don't share with them when i should but when i do um they i think they feel more like they're not alone they're not as lost as they think they are and there is a way back Mm. and that you know the Lord loves you through everything, even when you're angry and rebellious and, you know, almost shaking <laughs> your fist at him because you're just so confused. And I think he will take you the long way around if you're hard-headed like me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've really gone the uh-huh. long way around all of it. And um, I've always been hard-headed, and, um, and sometimes I'm just so naive and stupid stupid really hmm. I think it's interesting that uh, you know you're in the beauty business right so you sell uh, hair dye etc <laughs> etc mm, yes we do and as much as hairstyles change right you know going with the bob going with the long hair bangs no bangs etc um, guys we just get balder or whatever or keep our hair whatever that might be but the one thing that remains consistent in, in every generation male and female is that we all we all want to be loved yes. we're all searching for the love of god mm-hmm. we're searching for it, it could be in beauty products could be in alcohol could be in a relationship could be in something else but god loves us and i think it's not and and, and it's not until i mean god wants to reveal that love to us but it's not until we we have people come into our lives and show us and model and express and tell us of that love Mm-hmm. until that can be awakened in us mm-hmm. you know and uh man i wish uh, you know i it's not like i got saved late in light per se but i wish someone would have came along sooner uh, in my life and said you know jeremiah jesus loves you he's mm-hmm. got a great plan for your life he wants to do great things sure. in you and man how much how much better could my life be how much there, there would be so much less baggage right if someone would have just showed me and told me of the love of Jesus. I don't excuse my sin. I don't excuse my bad behavior. Everything Jeremiah Johnson was before Jesus, I own that. That's me. That's all That's all on me. That I can't blame my dad. I can't blame my mom for that, regardless of maybe I, I could if I really tried to put the argument together. But that's me. Um, but man, the moment I realized how much Jesus loved me, and I welcomed that love mm-hmm. into my life, into my choices, my decisions, and actions. It's amazing how much life can change. You agree with that? Yes, I do. Yeah, I mean, God God loves us so much. And I'm excited to get to the second part of your story here, where we're going to kind of start hearing about how God's going to really come in and change your life in a lot of ways. I hope you're enjoying this story. It's kind of deep. It's pretty heavy. And you're like, whoa. Uh, And I don't know. We've all watched through some crazy things. So I thank you for joining us on the Grace Point Daily Podcast. Come back for part two with Stella Maynard, and we're going to hear the rest of the story. We'll talk to you soon. 